Hello! This feels like the 15th intro I've done for this podcast, um, but it's basically just a bit of a warning that it may feel a little disjointed as I sort of started the idea for the podcast in January and then there was like a six month gap and then I picked it up again in June. Um, So there may be some indiscrepancies so for example i refer to it both as the scared square cast and the i suck at games podcast within this um I, i'm gonna stick with scared square cast i think um there's also just to let you know i record most of it in the car during my commute to work so there's a constant sort of noise going on in the background for a lot of it uh, but some of it is recorded in other places um the i think that's it the last thing is that um i mainly talk about techno babylon in it but i also found a sort of five minute clip where i talk about my initial experience with the witness um i mainly just talk about how it doesn't have a menu uh but if you're interested in that stick around to the end of the podcast uh if not then just stop whenever and get on with your life um hope you enjoy it see ya bye Stuart Lilford, game designer and lecturer in game design, uh, talking to his phone again. I did an experimental podcast. I don't know why I'm trying to talk in a different accent to my own accent. I did an experimental podcast where I, I quit. It was called I Suck at Games. And I basically played games that, and talked about how terrible I was at them. I only I discussed two diff, two games. Uh, one was Shadow of the Colossus, and the other one was uh, like a VR special where I talked about my experiences playing VR for the first time. Um, and that's the those are the only two episodes that I did. Um, but I kind of like since then I've I like the idea of doing podcasts, but I think in an ideal world. I would have somebody to converse with in a in a podcast. I would have another person that I would chat to and be able to talk with, and it would be uh, I think it would be much more interesting to listen to. But unfortunately, I don't have anyone to talk to. I have no friends. That's not true. I have some friends, but um, for the purposes of this podcast, I just want to talk about. Not and not just limit it to games that I play and a discussion of them. Um, or maybe I do want to do that. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. I'm just jabbering on into a microphone and just seeing what happens, seeing where my mind takes me. The thing about that podcast, the I Suck Again podcast, was it that gave me some opportunity to reflect and analyse the games that I was playing. But I made a lot of mistakes, I think. Uh, mistake number one. I started the pod that podcast when I had a cold, and in the very first episode, I sort of made a grubbery noise, and it's uh, it was enough to sort of turn a few people off from listening ever again. Um, mistake number two. I think I said a said a sweary word in in one of the uh, episodes, episode two, I think. Um, might have been an F word 
and I kind of regret that. So this is a just talking, thinking aloud about the direction that I want this this new podcast to go in. And I think instead of a continuation of the I Suck at Games podcast, I will do a sort of scared square cast where it's mainly about my adventures in indie game development as a game developer, but talking about maybe game design problems that I'm having, talking about them aloud, but also as a platform to continue the work done on the I Suck at Games podcast um, and use it as a platform to analyse games that I play and learn from them, basically. Learn from them and think about solutions to any design problems I felt that I had. Um, I don't know. But... We'll see what happens with it. This is just some preamble, and maybe I'll get into it proper shortly. This edition of the podcast features me monologuing about Techno Babylon. Uh, I'll talk a bit more about that in a moment, but one thing I forget to mention during the course of the podcast is... Uh, I met the developer, James Dearden, once at the very first Adventure X Expo. So this is a um, sort of narrative adventure game conference, I suppose, that happens in the UK. And I forget how long it's been running for. Maybe, I feel like, seven or eight years is probably a ballpark. Um, and it was... It started off initially largely focused on the adventure game studio community um, and I had just sort of made a game called Entrapment which looking back at it I think was pretty terrible and is pretty terrible you can still play it online uh, if you go to scaredsquare.com you can look for Entrapment there and play it as part of my games it's a 2D point and click adventure game in which you play as Sam Drake and the it, spoilers uh, you are a man who is essentially trying to frame yourself for murder that is the premise of the game you can immediately probably see uh, some complications with delivering such a ambitious narrative within the confines of a point-and-click adventure game. Uh, but I had a go at it, and anyway, I showed it at the very first Adventure X, and that's where I met James, and I had played the initial versions of Techno Babylon before meeting him, and I just sort of talked to him about you know the his ideas for the rest of the game, and um, you know what what was his what was his inspirations and he basically told me that he had these dream inducing seizures i don't know if this is true he might have just been like he might have just been yanking my chain and just uh, because that's a pretty he used to say he had these dream inducing seizures where he would have visions uh for the ideas for the game which he would then make um which is a good 
a story about how where you get your game ideas from because <laughs> normally it's just like oh well I really like this game growing up as a child and I wanted to make something that emulated the essence of that game but uh, adding my own flair and uh, uh, bringing in elements of other other franchises and uh, things that I enjoy uh, into that experience um, so rather than giving it that spiel he, he had dream-inducing seizures that give him visions of how the, the game would, would pan out. Um, so I might try that with my next game. Um, <laughs> anyway, on with the, the monologue. So I'm just going to start talking on uh, unplanned. So there'll be quite a few ums and ahs. You'll have to just bear with me on that. Um, this is just just like that one just there. The first game that I'm going to talk about is Techno Babylon. So this is a 2D point-and-click adventure game made with Adventure Game Studio and was published by Wadjetai Games that have released games like Gemini Roo. Uh, Resonance, uh, the Blackwell series of point-and-click games. Um, trying to think of any others. Uh, Shardlight, Golden Wake. Um, yeah, they've made a lot of adventure games and published a lot of adventure games as well. Um, and Adventure Game Studio has a, I have a soft spot for it because it was the first game engine I really got to know when I was like 14, 15 making terrible terrible games that looked awful and were just, they were just not, not good um, but I was a small, you know, I had a small part of the community, they had online forums and so they had like competitions and you could ask for advice and it was quite a friendly community so I, I was a mainly a lurker but I was I would occasionally post things on there um, for people to, to, to have a conversation with people about and yeah it was a, it was it was probably my stepping stone into games development if I'm being truly honest and Techno Babylon is started out by, well the developer is named James Dearden I think I'm pronouncing that right um, and he started making these on his own so he would make the artwork himself he'd write it and then make it in adventure game studio and he released the these as episodes so like episode what there was episode one or like part different parts so it's an episodic it was free it was free to play as well initially um so the first three parts he released on his own um and i did play the original ones when you know, it was his heart. It was very chunky pixel art. Um, the character sprites looked similar to the original Monkey Island games. Those kinds of that that kind of level of uh, that resolution artwork, pixel artwork. And I remember thinking at the time uh, that these games were pretty enjoyable. Um, what I liked about them was the sort of they were quite. They worked very well mechanically, so gameplay-wise, but also the storyline felt fresh and exciting. 
Um, then what I assume happened is uh, Dave Gilbert from Watch Eye Games got in touch with James or there was some meeting of minds and they said let's let's publish this this game um, let's improve it and make it better so that they they did just that and released the full all episodes together as, as one game so this they're more like chapters and the artwork was totally revamped by very talented artist Ben Chandler also known as Ben 304 I'm also a fan of Ben's artwork and his 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 uh, previous um, games that he's released that he's made the artwork for and written and designed and made in Adventure Game Studio himself. Um, so these were very much inspirations, inspirational people to me when I started off as a as a as a games developer in the early teens. So. I bought Techno Babylon probably in a Steam sale about two years ago. I'm very bad at keeping up to date with my library on Steam. I've got about 90 games on there probably. And if I'm honest, I've probably played maybe about 20, if that. So I've, I w I've been wanting to play Techno Babylon for a long time because I really enjoyed the original, um, the original episodes that were released for free. And I was looking forward to seeing um, what what playing it would be like, uh, the, the sort of HD remake, I guess, um, of the of the complete game. So I'll talk about some of the things that I really like about the game. I do have a few, maybe not criticisms. They're just sort of things to to consider. I think um, this podcast. I don't really want it to be about ripping on other people's games and the design of them it's more just thinking well did this work did it work yes or no why why did it work or why didn't it work so what worked for me i think was the the very tight um the, the gameplay so with adventure games point and clicks the the important thing is the player knows what they what knows what they have to do and then the gameplay element comes from um, figuring out how to do it essentially so they're, they're provided with an overall end goal and then they basically just have to fulfill fulfill that goal the reason I really like these kinds of games and I think the, the reason that the, the, game, the type of games that I like to play are the ones that provide me with the opportunity to have those eureka moments. Uh, what I mean by that is those moments in games where you're playing them and you've got a puzzle and you're trying to solve it and then suddenly you get it. You're like, oh, eureka, I've got it. That's how you fix it. That's how you do it. That feeling is what I really enjoy about adventure games particularly. They're very good at creating this because the puzzles the puzzles are usually mechanically pretty similar to each other but it's it's how the developer ties that in with the narrative side of it and Technobabble does this very well I think so the first example is uh, of your like your goal if, if you like is escape the room so that's a pretty common adventure game sort of trope I guess uh, you've got one room you've got to escape it how do you do it um, 
and the the puzzle elements towards that uh, that are in Techno Babylon, I think work very well. What I liked about it is that it has this uh, this it, it, the game. Well, let me talk about the narrative a little bit just to provide some context. So it's sort of uh, this dystopian sci-fi uh, Blade Runner-y sort of future city and um, it's, it's sort of cyberpunkish, I suppose um, and one of the things is that they have this thing called the trance which I guess is kind of like the internet uh, but you plug yourself into it so you the the character you initially play as is called Lather and when she enters the trance she, she sort of sits cross-legged um, and sort of closes her eyes and then you your consciousness, I guess, then starts to inhabit a digital world. And in the context of the narrative, this is doing this uh, is apparently very addictive. Um, they have sort of later on in the game, you you come to locations that are like drug dens, but it's just full of people entering the trance. Um, however, the not only is this a narrative point, but it's also uh, works as a game mechanic so for example you will enter the trance to then uh, interact with computer systems uh, or software systems so to give you an example that first room oh, by the way probably some spoilers ahead uh, so if you've if you're gonna play Techno Babylon maybe play it yourself and then listen to this um, but the first room you you have to escape and you have this uh, sort of food dispenser machine basically it's, the, the first room's like a, an apartment that you're in but you play as a, a sort of trance addict I guess and so you don't have a lot of income and this is a, an apartment provided by the state and so it's not very nice um, very minimal food is dispensed via these food dispensers which give you um, also give you cutlery and like um, the way it works is it will recycle them so if you've eaten a meal you'll put pl the plastic cutlery in this dispenser and it will recycle them into new cutlery for the next meal um, it has the option of um, getting a plastic one or a metal one but the metal one option is is blocked off to you because they are concerned that you'll use it to self-harm I think is the is the premise so you only get plastic knives and forks you can try to put in materials metal materials which you find in the room but it won't dispense it the way you do it is you there's a puzzle where you access your emails you download this virus and then when you enter the tr the trance you can inter you can actually interface with the computer system behind the food dispenser which is called Sheffy um, and it's a really high annoying high-pitched um, sort of amenable chef food dispenser thing um, and the way you sort of get around the fact that it won't allow you to access metal materials is that you basically within the trance give it this virus um, once it's infected with the virus there's also a security system in there so it's kind of like um, what is it McAfee or Norton security in, in within the trance within your sort of room and that's attached to the, to the door to 
because the the reason you can't escape is because the, the door just won't open the security on it is, is, is sort of bugged and isn't opening um, but then you can ask the security system to then attack or, or fix or do or like put down the the infected uh, food dispenser AI and so that, that happens which then allows you the option to be able to access metal materials and then you get this metal fork or whatever which you use to pry open the door mecha uh, mechanism and then you, you can escape that way that's mainly the sort of first puzzle but it involves switching back and forth between the trance and the actual environment in which your character exists in and this happens at regular points throughout the game but it doesn't happen too often so there's all you play as multiple characters as well in the game uh, one character is not quotes wired to be able to um, access the trance they've made the conscious decision not to and that's you know that's quite interesting um, so that and the, just the other thing that I like about it is narratively it's quite uh, fresh and different so this, this this idea of the trance is probably not not new but in terms of adventure games I can't say I've seen anything that's used anything like that it's got this the idea of this um, this central AI which governs the whole city which again not something that's that's brand new but in the context of this uh, of being a playable point-and-click adventure game it's not something that I've come across before um, you've also got characters with different motivations um, there's different sort of uh, elements to this this world that are quite new, unique, like 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 these the ideas of these food dispensers, or you've got these um, sort of androids in there as well. One thing that was quite interesting was that there's these characters who are called uh, bio bombers, and basically they are engine or engineered, genetically engineered or engineered, as the, the the game sort of coins that term to their bone structure is is altered so that they are actually explosive um, which causes them medical problems it's sort of a new wave of sort of sci-fi terrorism is that they engineer genetically engineer these people so that they themselves are the explosive and so they're not detected by metal detectors or whatever um, or maybe that was the initial case but there's maybe some some security measures to find them but there are, there are these characters that exist in the world and one of your early um, sort of uh, uh, puzzles is sort of a dialogue puzzle where you're trying to convince this uh, bio bomber to not blow himself up and destroy a train station that he's uh, in the process of trying to destroy um, so there's again uh, puzzle variety is a, a good thing in this game so you've got situations like escape the room or situations like where you've got to have a conversation with this, this person to try and convince them to do something there is a couple quite a few instances actually of either escape the room or get into this room as your as, as being your goal but there are some other ones that are quite unique so for example one of I, I think one of my favorite sections of the game is where you've got to decode this message that's left for you by one of the other characters in the game uh, in order to do that it's sort of broken up into four different bits in this location um, and basically the code 
it, narratively the code it's been implanted in the DNA of sort of flowers and plants that are in the, this uh, sort of greenhouse area that's used to engineer plants for different for different drugs and things like that um, which is weird but the actual puzzles themselves required you to fit first of all you had to figure out which plants were used to hide this message in and then take the uh, the structure of those plants and then put them in this device and then add them together but there was obviously there was lots of different plants um, and the way that you figured out each the location of each uh, part of the message was different um, and so it, it was a it was a varied puzzle uh, and I kind of liked that uh, there's also ones where you've got to solve a murder um, just trying to think of other ones there's just what their place there is some I do yes yeah, this leads me on to the criticism or well, not criticism but things that I would want to think about is that there was one section in the game where you are you basically you're on the run from the police or, or, or the version of the police um, in the game or cell agents as they are called um, you're on the run and you're in this warehouse I guess or factory abandoned factory hiding out um, and then the game just sort of then what happens is a, uh, something is thrown through a window and a bottle that's labeled drink me on it um, is it, uh, thrown at you and then the game starts um, and to me so, so initially I was like well I wasn't really sure what my objective was here was my object because it, it seemed to me the objective was to wait for my partner who I'd left the message for to come and find me um, but then this bottle gets thrown through the window and it just says drink me on it when you pick it up it says oh it says drink me now this character it seemed a bit out of character for this uh, this this character called um, Dr. Regis just to think mm, alright then I'll just drink this um, I don't know it was a it was kind of a little sort of out it wasn't clear to me and then it, and then the, you you basically you end up drinking it and it implants you with um, sort of uh, some temporary wiring on your insides that will allow you to communicate with someone else who's sort of trying to watch out for you and they tell you that there's like there's guards armored guards in the building looking for you and this that and the other but it, initially it was a bit jarring that section of the game because it felt like the fact that this person was just going to drink this bottle because it was i mean if i was on the run from the police and i was in a warehouse someone threw a bottle through the window and it said drink me on it I would probably think twice about drinking it unless I had a bit more motivation to do so or a bit more trust in what actually was in this bottle. So, I mean, I can sort of see, yes, it's a sort of cool narrative um, flourish for this event to happen in the story, but it did seem a little out of character. Um, and it sort of, because I was sort of like, well, 
I don't really I, I as the character didn't particularly want to do that as the player I didn't really want to do that until I had a bit more motivation to do so so perhaps what this needed was something to provide the player and the character in the game a bit of trust as to why they were doing that so perhaps one well maybe one mess because basically you've got a partner in the game that you're waiting for so maybe there was something on the bottle that indicated that potentially this ball could be from your partner even though ultimately it ended up not being but the the third party that did throw the ball could just sort of manipul manipulate you into thinking that it was from your partner but if there was sort of something on there that made you think this must be from my partner and it says drink me on it okay i'll do it but if it's just a complete random event that happens then there's just no way that i believe that this character would would do it do you know what i mean so that's just that's sort of like a minor thing the the thing about adventure games that you've got to be careful with as well is uh the amount of times your player gets stuck and playing this I personally don't feel that was often. I didn't often feel like I needed to look at a walkthrough. Um, there was one or, time, one or two times that I did do that. Um, and to be honest, uh, a lot of the time it was out of laziness um, or things like that. Or there was, there was one occasion actually where it said, oh, you have to do this thing. And I was absolutely 100% certain that I had already attempted to do that thing um, but I clearly hadn't and so that is why I wasn't trying that uh, option um, that solution because I thought I'd already tried it so that's my own fault um, and other times I was just lazy or I was laying in bed and I was like oh, I can't be bothered to think about this I'm just going to look, look it up um, but there was one section in particular that I did get stuck on. So in the middle of the game, it's that the section where you're in the factory actually. You get you drink the por the potion. You drink this thing and it makes it so you that you are able to be communicated with by this this other person and they sort of tell you look there are there are some um, body sort of guards I guess or armoured guards like SWAT team type people in the building they're looking for you, they're trying to kill you basically um, so you're in this factory and the puzzle is escape the factory and, and take out any of these guards that sort of get in your way um, and one of the part of the puzzles requires you to switch on I think some of the systems in the factory you have to turn the power on to them and the way you do this is through a computer terminal that you find right at the start of the uh, right at the start of this section of the game but when you access this computer terminal you're presented with a few icons there's an email icon which you can access to read somebody's emails this is kind of a staple of Wadjai games uh, they have sections of games where there's emails in them and you have to read them and they have solutions to puzzles in them. So for example in this section there was an email where uh, one character in the game was emailing another character and talked about the code required to unlock this locker. There was a few rooms uh, through the game so if you read that email then you know how to do that section of the game. But also on the terminal was a icon that was a power switch symbol now 
the reason I got stuck is because I assumed that this power switch symbol icon would just turn off the monitor. Just turn, like, because you in the game you access terminals or monitors or whatever and you turn them off by uh, selecting the top this top right box which is iconless there's no there's no icon to say this is closing this window down um, but for some reason in my head I didn't make the connection that there's this icon that I know is this icon this well this this box that's iconless that I know when I click it closes down this window but also on this monitor there's an icon with a power switch symbol but in my head I'm just assuming that that does the exact same function but wasn't questioning it it was sort of a subconscious thing really it wasn't I didn't wasn't actively thinking oh that must turn the monitor off but wait what this one usually turns the monitor off so why is there two of them let's click it and find out because obviously every day day in day out you see that symbol you associate it with turning things on and off it's on your remote controls turn your tv on which you use every day um, it's on your settings on your phone if you try to power it down or whatever so you just sort of subconsciously associate this symbol with powering down or powering up whatever it's associated with so that i think is why this um this this sort of this icon didn't really make me uh, notice it because at a subconscious level i just associated a certain function with it what this icon on the desktop of this monitor actually did was take you to um the power settings for the factory that you're in so you can switch on different systems which you are required to do for certain puzzles in this section um this probably could have been avoided i feel if the icon was just different um again i don't know if many other people who played this game i've had this issue but it's, it was just something for me where i got stuck didn't know what i was doing and then it even read on the walkthrough um, that you had to use this terminal to um, change the power systems. So I was like, what? I've been on that terminal like six or seven times and I've never once seen the option to change on the power systems. So uh, that's when I had a look at it and I was like, well, okay, that's when I, because I knew to look in that location, which is why I sort of second thought, well, why is this power option here? And then I clicked it and realized, oh, this means that you affect the power of the factory. Right, okay. So I think if the choice of icon used had been different so typically if you are affecting the settings of something regardless of what its function is it's like a cog item or something like that um, phones use this this icon many games use this icon it's sort of uh, synonymous with changing this or affecting the system or affecting the mechanics or behind the system um, which is, is what the cog symbolizes the the machine you're affecting how this machine functions uh, regardless of its function and for whatever reason the designer decided actually i'm going to just focus on the function of this rather than what this button is actually is doing to it So that is just one example of where I got stuck in the game. Um, 
if the if the audio yeah, sounds like it's changed, it's not an issue with your device. I received a phone call midway through rambling on and I'm resuming in my office. <clears throat> so it may sound a little echoey. Um, in fact, it's a bit warm in here. I'm going to open a window. <clears throat> but yeah, although, otherwise, I think I would wholeheartedly recommend Technobabylon. It's a, a uh, enjoyable experience it's a good game it's got some good puzzles the ui is slick um the characters um the dialogue for the characters is all good it's f- f- um, fully voice acted the narrative is unique for an adventure game and there's certain parts of the narrative that integrate well with the mechanics of the game and how that how that works um, so yeah, really, really would make, re- recommend Techno Babylon if you enjoy point-and-click adventure games. So what have I learned from playing Techno Babylon and thinking about its design? Well, I think it does a lot of things right when it comes to 2D point-and-click adventure game design. It has multiple characters, it has an interesting uh, environment to explore, the puzzles are varied and they're uh, not too complex so as to require using a walkthrough. I, I did mention I used one to get by that one puzzle but it wasn't due to the uh, an over complex puzzle design it was more just a, a semiotics thing to do with this or misunderstanding the use of a symbol but the actual puzzles themselves I, I felt like I could work them all out um, I never felt sort of completely stranded um, the artwork was really good the dialogue was good um, I think there were a couple of instances where I felt the the sort of the dialogue or, or the characters were perhaps um, a little too f- sort of far-fetched. So, for example, quite early on in the game, you are you play as uh, two characters investigating a crime scene. And you start off at the bottom of a, a, a large, tall building, and you're about to enter the building when someone very high up in the building uh, is thrown out and lands on the the ground in front of you. Now, I think in this, it, it may be that in this world, that is quite a regular occurrence. But in the in the game, the two characters seem to. I mean not to react with a little bit of they were like oh oh he's fallen out of the window look oh god that's frustrating isn't it oh a bit like that oh now what we're gonna do we're gonna have to investigate that now aren't we oh god whereas i think if that were to happen in real life circumstances i kind of think that even if the person it happened in front of was a a hard-boiled police detective that their reaction would probably be uh, a little bit more substantial than the one that was presented in the game 
So that was that was just what I mean. These are very nitpicky. Um, I mean, I I can't say my immersion has been broken. I think that some on some occasions I've sort of felt a bit lost as to what the motivations of certain characters within the plot. Uh, um, there's I mean, and some of it is quite complex and confusing. It might just be my lack of intellect. Uh, <laughs> I struggle to understand certain things. But there's like this one character who is called Dr. Baxter. And he uh, murdered one of the characters that you play as. He, he murdered that, the wife of the character you play as, as um, Dr. Regis's wife. So you play as Dr. Regis and Dr. Baxter murdered your wife. So he, and then obviously you, so you went into that, Dr. Baxter went into jail because of that and he harbours some resentment towards Dr. Regis uh, around ruining the project, which was why he murdered his wife that they were working on together. It's a long, it's a long story. But, uh, but then he has this chip or something called the governor implanted in him, which means that his actions or his thoughts are, are restricted, so he's no longer able to to act on these these thoughts that he's got about Doctor Regis. But then, when you when you meet him uh, or his or his um, his data self in the trance, um, he he's he's not bothered about it. There's sort of a it's like it's a bit. Sometimes it's weird. It's weird to understand what his motivation is. But then, yeah, it, it gets complex. But it's not to say that it's not interesting. Um, so, yeah, I think if you want to look at a good example of advent 2D point-and-click adventure game design done well, Techno Babylon is a good place to start for that. In fact, a lot of the Wadjet-Eye games uh, are very good. The Black Quill series... Is, is is a good example of that of that as well um, and I think importantly consider the use of your of your icons in games uh, and I mean I, I guess this also comes down to a localization thing as well so if you're you if you've got the use of icons in your game and they want them to mean a specific thing um, make sure that it's universally accepted that that thing it means what you want it to mean. So that's it for this episode of I Suck at Games. Uh, if you are a fan of point and click adventure games, then check out my website, scared square, or is it a one? I can't remember. I think it's either. I think it's probably scaredsquare.com. That's. I think I'm going to go with that. I don't think there's a dash there. Scaredsquare.com, and um, you can take a look. The, the first page should have Timestone on it, which is a short 20-minute 2D point-and-click adventure game made by myself. I did the artwork. I made it in Adventure Game Studio, as it happens, and. Um, it's it's free but it's it's pay what you want so if you've enjoyed this podcast and you've enjoyed you enjoy my games then consider donating a little bit of your uh, hard-earned cash and maybe what that means is that if enough people do it then i'll be able to do 
more of this kind of thing more podcasts more games more writing about games uh, writing about games development because uh, a full-time job makes it difficult to do those things um, so yeah consider playing some games or even if you don't particularly want to pay any money then just a leave a little comment or a little review um, feel free to download Splodivaders for Android if you've got an, an Android device that's Splody Vaders it's free uh, it has in a in, in, sorry, it has advertisements occasionally, uh, but you can get rid of those for a, a measly 79p, I think. I can't remember. Um, but that's another way you can support what we're doing here. I say we, what I'm doing here. Um, and the games that I make and the stuff that I produce, if you're a fan. Um, otherwise, just keep consuming content for free. And I wouldn't blame you. Shouldn't feel guilty about that at all. Okay. Hopefully we'll be another one of these soon. Uh, next time I'll probably be talking about Pokemon Go that I've started to, to dip into again with the recent announcement of uh, Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee. Uh, which has integration with Pokemon Go, which has sort of caught my interest and made me want to invest some time in it again. Um, so look, be on the lookout for that, and have a good one. See you later. Bye. I'm just, I've started playing The Witness recently, um, got a bit of money for my birthday and thought, you know what, I'll buy that. So I bought it, PlayStation, for £30, which is probably the most I've spent on a game in a long time. Like, most of the time I'll buy pre-earned. Um, the last time I probably bought a game more that was that more was more than that was probably no man's sky <laughs> and uh but yeah the witness is a game that i've seen around and i've really really wanted to try it i mean like really a lot wanted to wanted to play that game uh over the past couple of years i've been really into first person exploration games which is the term that i call walking simulators people people call than walking simulators, but I'm not, I mean, it's a find, I guess, but I'm, it's used as a derogatory term for some of these games, but I think the term first-person exploration game is a much better fit for that type of game. So this includes games like Gone Home, Firewatch, those kinds of games, right? 
<clears throat> and I really enjoyed Firewatch and The Witness seemed to have the same sort of vibes as that. It was a first person exploration game. But interestingly, it had this weird puzzle element to it as well, which you could see in all the, the trailers and the, the gameplay videos and such. Um, and I found that quite intriguing as well. So the game is by uh, Jonathan Blow, who made Braid, which is a, uh, what, a really good game. If you haven't played Braid, you need to play Braid, it's great. Um, he was in Indie Game The Movie as well, which is where I think I first became aware of him and his uh, talents. He's, um, a I would say he's a very talented game designer. Um, although the two games that I have played of his are Braden the Witness. Um, but anyway, get it, let's, let's get on to like first impressions. So I've, I've played maybe a, a few hours with this game um, and initial impressions, so I mean, probably spoilers, I guess I should warn about that. Um, so you initially, one thing I did like about it actually, is that there is no menu, there's no way to press start game and then you start the game, there's nothing like that, you basically start the game, I, don't, I, can't, I can't even remember if there's like a splash screen at the beginning or anything, but the game just starts and I just thought, wow, that's that's great. I don't have to go through menus. I don't have to watch any any rubbishy video intros or stuff that I have to watch a billion times if I load up a game every single time. The game just starts, just starts. Because um, one of the things my students always ask when they initially learn how to code and to make games. So like they'll be make I'll be teaching them how to make a really basic space and base clone. And they'll have a game where you play as a, a square that shoots squares at other squares and some of the squares are different colors. So you're a green square shooting killer squares at red squares and you get points and it's like Space Invaders. And they ask, oh, how do I add a menu to this? And I'm like, why? Why on earth do you need to add a menu to that? It's a get. It's a game where you that probably nobody's going to play. Why do? Why? Why? They always insist on it as well. It's like, oh, my game's got to have a menu. It's not a proper game if it doesn't have a menu. When if they say that to me again in the future, I can say, well, have you played The Witness by Jonathan Blow, which was a really successful game, and it's got, it's a proper game and everything on the PlayStation. Have you played that? Doesn't have a menu. So, there you go, shut up. Um, so yeah, I thought that was an interesting initial introduction to it. Uh, 